we all sort of go into the industry because we love movies and we want to make movies, but there are also so many cinematographers that want to work on features that the jobs are so hard to come by. Hi, and welcome to Hollywood On Ramp, the podcast where we interview successful people in Hollywood about how they got to where they are today. And today we're talking to Paul Yee, director of photography for the movie Joyride. Paul went to film school at NYU, started out working as a grip and gaffer, and his first film as cinematographer, The Fits, was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. Hi, Paul Yee. Hi, Jay. Nice to meet you. So you were the cinematographer on the movie Joyride. How did you get involved with that? Well, I uh, I did not know Adele. That's Adele Lim, writer of Crazy Rich Asians, Raya and the Last Dragon, and director of Joyride. But I met her in late 2019 when I was working on a show for Quibi that was directed by Vina Sood. Vina is close friends with Adele, and she'd known that Adele had just been brought on to direct her first feature film. And she came to visit set, and that's where I met her. I had been familiar with her work on Crazy Rich Asians, uh, which she which she co-wrote, and then eventually later on on Raya, The Last Dragon. Though we didn't have like a, a real direct connection beforehand, I was and have been uh, a big fan of her work. It sounds like Quibi did bring some good into the world. Yeah, you know, that's it's funny because with every production, you put so much time and effort into creating something and conceiving something and bringing it into the world. And then uh, the fact that this project that I did with Vina which we both really cared about and we loved, uh, had such a short shelf life um, is really, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, I think a lot about just the connections in my career. And I really am so fortunate that I was part of that project because it introduced me to Adele and then ultimately my first job uh, on a studio feature. What's the difference uh, working on a studio movie compared to the stuff you've done in the past? This is actually by far the the biggest budget that I've worked on. You know, it it's interesting. I think that regardless of the budget size that making a movie is is always chaotic. The biggest difference is that on a, a studio movie the expectations are, you know, are a lot higher as far as um you know, on an independent project which I've I've done a good a good bit of you're a little bit more flexible with the script as far as you know, if we can't make a location happen or if we can't make a set piece happen, then we rewrite things. Um, my experience on the studio level is that you're sort of just expected to deliver, you know, what's on the page. Did you feel any hesitation with Lionsgate bringing you on or, you know, anyone involved bringing you on since you didn't have that experience? To rewind it a little bit, the the first time that I was on like a a sizable set was the, the Quibi job that I did with Vina. There was a moment on the first day of that production where I showed up and there were just trucks and trucks and trucks and trailers. And that was something I, I hadn't been used to before. The The movie that I'd done before that was a very small independent movie called Colwell. Um, and that was mostly non-actors and a lot of just sort of young people getting their foot into production for the first time. So I think that having done that project with Quibi and with Vina did sort of acclimate me to what it's like working on a, a larger set and having to manage larger crews. What were the biggest challenges you felt on Joyride compared to with what, what you've done before? Joyride is a, a comedy um, produced by Point Grey, which is Seth Rogen uh, and Evan Goldberg's 
uh, company. They make comedies in the style of like a Judd Apatow production. So there's a lot of flexibility with the script. There's a whole tent of writers. I think on our movie we had like two full-time writer producers, uh, like two freelance writers, and they're constantly punching up scenes and adding alternative lines. It does create for this like very, like just sort of, you know, fresh sort of reactive um, energy on set. Um, and you, you get really funny stuff that way. Um, but the challenge from a cinematography standpoint is that it's very difficult to predict how to cover a scene because, you know, Jay, you're an, uh, an editor, so you know that, you know, coverage is just like eye lines are all over the place when you have like four people in a scene. And we had sometimes 10 people in a scene and there would just be people looking one way and delivering lines all over the place. And then we'd be like, oh, it'd be great to have like four or five alternative jokes for this line. And that was something that, you know, it was very hard to predict before we did a rehearsal. How many days did you have to shoot? We filmed for 34 days. That's pretty quick for getting all that coverage. Yeah. But it's probably a lot, uh, a lot longer schedule than you're used to as well. It did seem like a, it was a lot of time, but... It seemed like as the schedule expands for the project, so does the ambition. Because um, we certainly could have used more time to get more coverage and just for more alternative lines and more jokes. But ultimately, uh, I've seen the movie, you know, probably close to a dozen times now. And the things that I love about the script, you know, or loved about the script really work for me. And I think the movie is going to be special to a lot of people. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited for people to see it. You have another movie that's that's out now, Reality. How different was that from shooting Joyride? Um, it actually could could not have been a more different process. I ended up uh, getting hired to work on Reality after Joyride, um, and because of the sort of unpredictable nature of filming Joyride in all of the locations. And all of the script unpredictability, I told my agent that I really wanted to work on a project that was a lot smaller with, you know, fewer locations. And then, like, I think three or four <laughs> months later, she was like, there's this project that takes place in one room and it's based on a, a transcript. So they literally can't change the dialogue. <laughs> so uh, I, I met with Tina, the director, who reached out to me because she was a, a big fan of The Fits, which is the first feature that I that I'd, I'd done. And then we ended up going into production for just like a real quick, short 16 days um, in May of 2022. <laughs> it literally is one location and uh, no ad lib. It's like, that's kind of what is one of the amazing things about reality is that all of that extra fat from like a, just a conversation that normally gets cut away is, is there and it kind of makes it special in a way um, because you know you're you are sort of reminded throughout the movie that this is real that it this is verbatim and that this actually is what they were saying so some of these weird conversations about animal about their pets and about exercising and crossfit and weightlifting it's like that's all that all really happened which and i think one of the most striking things about it is that it's so um, like so far from what we conceive, uh, like an FBI, uh, interrogation scene to be. I'm sure you can hear the siren. <laughs> so that brings up another question. You're based in New York. Is that right? 
Um, I am. I'm based in Brooklyn. I went to film school, and I've been here since I graduated in 2005. Where did you go to school? I went to NYU. I went to Tisch. What kind of challenges do you have uh, working in New York? And these movies, I, I think, were not shot there. So how often do you have to travel? Well, I've started to shift my career to doing mostly scripted projects. I don't know. It's become increasingly less important to be based in New York since there are so since movie productions often you know get the green light without even having a location. Um, so sometimes. You know, I'll talk to people and they'll be like, well, maybe we'll shoot in Georgia, maybe we'll shoot in Ohio. You know, it's all just based on what the line producer thinks they can make work with a, a local tax incentive. And you have a family. How how much time do you spend away? Yeah, I have a, a six-year-old and I'm in her I'm in her room right now. Honestly, I think at the moment it seems like I'm quite busy because I have these movies that are sort of out in the world in parallel reality and joyride and then also a, a documentary called Jazzilla that's doing a, its festival run right now but they're basically the only projects that I've worked on in the past like three years the early early covid lockdown was was incredibly slow for me um, I didn't work from basically the end of 2019 until the until mid 2021. I was really starting to feel like I was the least desirable candidate for <laughs> for cinematography work. Um, that's when I booked Joyride. That that production was entirely in in BC in in Canada. So starting in August of 2021, I was basically out of the country and away from my family for four months. And it was super hard. You know, they did come to Seattle for like a for like a couple days and. We got to see each other for like a weekend. But even at the time, you couldn't visit Canada as just like a visitor. Like you had to be there on a work visa. So they couldn't have stayed with me, even if I'd wanted them to. In many ways, like I, I wish that I'd sort of gotten an earlier start to my cinematography career because being away from family and being away from home is has become such an enormous calculation in whether or not I do a job. I don't have to travel as much working in post, but I do travel from time to time and it, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, even on that, like when I, I ended up doing reality just a few months after Joyride wrapped principal production, but that was, was based in New York or we filmed in New York. Um, so it hypothetically should have been, it should have enabled me to spend more time with my family, but I was still up at 5am every day to be on set by seven and then getting home at like 8 PM. So even when you're local, the, I don't know, the, just the, the normal day for, uh, uh, for being on a production is, is long and it's brutal. On a lighter note, <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the fits. That was the first film that you shot that I was aware of really, really loved it. And I didn't realize it was your first film as a cinematographer. So can you talk a little bit about how that came about? You know, I think this is an interesting project to think about in retrospect, because I, for the longest time, wanted to be the cinematographer for a feature film. And it's something that I think a lot of cinematographers, um, it's just like in a, in a, an elusive goal that a lot of cinematographers have, because 
there are so we all sort of go into the industry because we love movies and we want to make movies, but there are also so many cinematographers that want to work on features that the jobs are so um, are so hard to come by. I had met the director Anna um, when we were very young. Uh, we went to NYU together and we worked at, in sort of like the production rental facility together and became really close friends. And we worked on crews together where I was like a grip or a electrician and she was a camera assistant. And then as we got older, she started working on producing things and then eventually applied to the Venice Biennale College, which is sort of like a feature film lab, like incubator competition uh, that's run by the Venice Film Festival. And she was granted a small amount of money to make a make her first feature. You know, I had very, very little uh, scripted experience up to that point. Um, and basically just got that job because we were such close friends and collaborators on other sort of smaller things like music videos and documentaries. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really still so fortunate that that movie connected with so many people. Up until recently, pretty much all of my job interviews have started with somebody saying that they're a huge fan of the Fitz. And um, it's been such a blessing in that way um, because it, you know, it really changed my career trajectory in a big way. Yeah, I bet. I can't imagine that you had that thought in mind when you started making the movie. It's hard to put myself in the mindset of where I was in 2015 or 2016. But at the time, it was a very comfortable situation. It was basically me making a movie with uh, essentially some of my best friends. Um, You know, we were all kids that went to film school together and we had basically creative freedom like it you know there wasn't a finance a financier or a studio that had any opinions about what we were doing you know the trade-off was that we didn't really have much money to work with but it's interesting that you know when you put uh talented creative people give them freedom to make something uh then it turns out to be something that people talk about for years and years (laughs) absolutely after college you started out working Um, I think as a grip and a gaffer, did you know you were aiming towards cinematography on scripted features at that point? Or or were you just kind of trying to figure out what your place was in the business? You know, when I graduated from school, I actually, I didn't know that I wanted to go into cinematography. I had worked on quite a few short films as the cinematographer, but I was really at the time more concerned with just making a living and being able to pay my rent in New York. So I ended up just working on like extremely low budget movies and even student films sometimes where I was being paid as like a, as an experienced gaffer, just sort of worked my ranks up in the lighting department until I was gaffing on feature films, uh, like independent features. Eventually, uh, after working on it on enough movies, it was just sort of became exhausting, like physically exhausting for my body to to continue doing that. So, I I did end up buying uh, a camera, uh, which was like a Panasonic HVX two hundred, 
which was really one of the last sort of prosumer camcorders that was being used professionally and transitioned my income generation and income generating into videography and filming uh, advertising work, documentaries, you know, then very, very slowly over time started to work on more creative projects like music videos. You know, my path to becoming a cinematographer has been a lot slower and more indirect than other cinematographers. And I think part of it is because I wasn't able to really lock in and focus on shooting and lensing projects when I was in my early and mid 20s and I had little responsibilities outside of working. I'm just going to put a pin in that real quick um, because <laughs> sure. could you describe what it is that a gaffer does for people who maybe aren't familiar with um, the way a set works? Well, uh, a gaffer is basically the head of the lighting department and the head of the electricians. Basically, they work in tandem with the director of photography to figure out how a set and a scene should be lit, and then also work with the electricians to determine how the set should be powered. You're working hand-in-hand with the cinematographer. Is it common for a cinematographer to start out as a gaffer? You know, I think I think it is something that you see. I mean, I think it's much more common for camera assistants to then become operators and then for operators to become cinematographers and then directors of photography. A learn, a, like Just a learning curve that I went through was that I was on set a whole bunch as a gaffer, but I wasn't really by the camera. I wasn't really learning, learning much about lensing and learning about coverage and about how to maintain like lighting continuity during a scene, which are really important things to know as a, as a cinematographer. Um, so I think that was something that took me a little bit longer to figure out as opposed to someone who's in the camera department who's really attached to that monitor all day. Once you got your own camera and started shooting other things, that's where you started to kind of figure all of that out? Yeah, I really learned how to film a project just by going through the prep process and then the production and then the finishing in in color. I, f- I feel like that's where you learn the impact of all the decisions that you're making. Because it's, it, you know, it's not really until something is finished that you can see whether or not your earlier decisions are working or not. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I feel like people on set don't um, always see the impact and post of what they've done. Yeah, well, I mean, the last few projects I've worked on have had editors cutting, you know, basically starting after the first day or two. And I, I find it's incredibly helpful to get that feedback from them where they're saying, oh, the, we need more coverage or this isn't working or, you know, these angles don't match. You know, I, in many ways, like I dread getting an email from an editor because it usually means there's like something that I'm doing wrong. But also they are usually right. Usually. <laughs> we, we try to try to compliment the good work, too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people starting out and, and wanting to become a cinematographer wanting to work in the camera electric departments? If I had to give advice to uh, a cinematographer at the beginning of their career, it would be to really listen to the directors that you're working with and pay attention to them and to try to deliver on their vision and put them in a situation where they can succeed. I like to think of myself almost as like a visual translator for what they're trying to get across. And I find that 
everybody is happiest when the director feels like they're they're doing a good job. When you are hiring people for the camera department or you're interviewing somebody to be a camera assistant, what are you looking for? As a department head, you know, I, I am always looking to hire people who are obviously talented, you know, at what they do, but also are people who seem like they have the right kind of attitude for being on set. People who can put up with the stress and the chaos and also just be a pleasant person to be around for 13 or 14 hours a day or in the middle of the night. I do like working with other people who are patient and who are willing to have conversations about why we're doing things a certain way. Um, so those are the sort of things I, I value in people I work with. Is, are they listen? Are they able to listen and respond. Well, thanks so much, Paul. I really appreciate talking to you. Well, I hope some people find this interesting. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to this interview with Paul. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you'd rather watch these interviews, subscribe to Hollywood On Ramp on YouTube. Thanks again and keep working on your Hollywood On Ramp.